Uh, we're going to take some time now and just get into the Word of God. I want us to think a little bit about uh, what God is uh, saying to us during this time. And when it comes to the question of what is God saying to me, we need to be in the habit of making the primary place we look for God's voice to be in God's Word. So yes, God speaks in many ways. He speaks in our hearts. He speaks through other people. He speaks through circumstances. There are many, many ways God can speak. But we know that he has spoken to us in his word. And his word is still speaking to us today. So I want to encourage you to, to just be in the word of God. Many of us have said for years, wow, I just can't seem to find the time to have quiet time. Well, guess what? God changed that. Okay? You could be in the word of God. So I want to encourage you to do that. Um, let's take a minute and pray together as we get to the word of God. Father, thanks so much for meeting with us today. Thanks, Father, that none of this takes you by surprise. Thank you that you've got a complete handle on all of this. And thank you that we are the body of Christ, whether we're in the same room or not. We just praise you for meeting with us today. And we ask you to open your word to us and change our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let me start by asking you this question. How are you doing at maintaining your joy? Now, I know that it feels like we've been like nine months in this whole process of having to stay home, but it's really just been a few days. And uh, I'm wondering how you're doing at maintaining your joy. I'm wondering what you're doing to maintain your joy. Uh, I, Friday morning, the first day after they announced the night before that we really had to kind of quarantine and everybody was going to have to stay home. On that Friday morning, uh, I came downstairs. My wife was already downstairs. I slept in a little bit, which was kind of cool. And when I came downstairs, I greeted her and I just said, Good morning. I've decided to sing everything I say today. And won't it be wonderful? And after lunch, I'm adding choreography. And it was at that point that she began to run from the room screaming. And that's kind of how I decided I'm going to maintain my joy. But what I realized is that what maintained my joy didn't help my wife's joy. And so uh, now that she's been home with me for several days, she has the same hairstyle I do. She's pulled out every bit of her hair, and now we look like twins. So pray for us. I pray especially for my wife. But what are you doing to maintain your joy? Because it's only been a few days. It's only been a few days where the whole family has been home together and some of us are already making each other absolutely crazy. A whole lot of parents out there have come to really appreciate the role of teachers. Parents keep telling me, man, I think teachers should get paid more. If you happen to be a teacher, this is the greatest opportunity you've ever had to get a public support for getting a pay raise because everybody is now getting to understand what it is that you do all day and what a blessing it is. Uh, some of us have discovered already that our jobs are not so bad after all, and we're wishing we could go back to work. And all kidding aside, some of us are already... Um, even just a few days in, beginning to struggle with things like uh, discouragement and uh, depression. Things like fear and anxiety have, are becoming the norm for some of us already. It's no fun to have something going on that radically impacts your life and you have zero control over it. And I think all of us are coming to grips with the fact that uh, we are absolutely dependent upon God at all times. That was true before this virus outbreak. That was true all along. 
but we didn't notice it so much. Now we're starting to realize that we don't really have as much control over things as we thought we did. And when we lose control, it gets scary. When we lose control, it gets frustrating. And things can have a huge impact on our lives that we can't control. And a lot of us are really beginning to struggle with that already. It's amazing how powerful circumstances can be. Just imagine this, uh, if you're like me, uh, I'm going out at least twice a day now and taking a walk. My wife and I are going out on walks and uh, we're just doing everything we can to just get a little bit of exercise, a little bit of fresh air and that kind of stuff. So you're out on a walk and you just happen to look down and there on the ground is something shimmering and you look down and you realize it's a lottery ticket. You pick it up and it hasn't been scratched. So you scratch it off and you win a million dollars. Now, just think about it for a second. Go ahead and feel that excitement. Feel the joy of going, oh my gosh, I went out for a walk and now I'm a million dollars richer. You turn it in. It turns out it's legit. You get paid the million dollars. It's an amazing, incredible thing. And a few months go by and it becomes tax time. And at tax time, you realize that you're paying over 35% federal tax on your lottery winnings. Your happiness just became despair. It's amazing how quickly circumstances can move us from happiness to despair and along that continuum back and forth. So much of how we're doing depends upon our circumstances. Guys, a tiny little virus too small for the human eye to see, has robbed us of so many of the things that brought us happiness and brought us a sense of security and brought us a sense of normalcy in our lives. And even though most of us are not infected with the virus, as a society, it has radically impacted all of our lives. It is not a particularly deadly virus. Nowhere near the deadliest of viruses that are out there. Um, in fact, it's, it's pretty far down the list in terms of how deadly it is. But it has disrupted our lives more than any other illness of our lifetime. Why? It's because it's so contagious. The, the, the CDC and the political leaders and the health department leaders and all those people, they're asking us to take these extreme measures that they're asking us to take, not because it's such a terrible sickness. Most people who get it are better in a few days, uh, but some people we know who have uh, compromised immunity systems, some people who have lung issues, some people who are older are actually dying from this. And so because of that, they've asked us to take these extreme precautions and everything in our life has changed and it's affecting the economy, it's affecting the political landscape, it's affecting our, our families and our relationships because it's so contagious, because it is so easily spread. And, that, and, and it seems like no matter how hard we try, we can't be absolutely sure that we're not coming in contact with this virus. It is spreading so fast. If you're like me, you watch on TV and you see every day the numbers are just skyrocketing of the number of cases. And they still haven't tested most of the people who probably have it already. So we're going to keep seeing that number of cases go up. It is so incredibly, incredibly contagious. But do you know what's more contagious than the coronavirus? If you're at home and you're sitting with your family or you're watching with somebody, just make a guess. What do you think? What, what spreads even faster 
than the coronavirus. Go ahead, tell the person next to you, what do you think it is? There is something that is far more fast moving than the coronavirus, that spreads as a contagion much more so than the coronavirus. What do you think it is? It's joy. Joy has the same ability to actually spread from person to person. And you know this because all of us have had the experience of being just sort of in a, in a blue mood, being a little bit down, and then you get around a group of people who are filled with joy and it just transforms your own heart. It changes what you're doing and how you're doing. And so joy is this massively important thing in the Christian life and it's incredibly contagious. And we're not talking enough about it. And so I wanted to take some time today to talk about joy. And I, I, I took the time to look up um, definitions of joy. And, you know, the various uh, dictionaries have different kinds of definitions. Nobody agrees on what it is. Uh, so I went to Christian leaders and started looking what, what are Christian leaders define Christian joy as. And I came across a couple that I wanted to share with you. Uh, one is from a, a great pastor and teacher by the name of John Piper. And John Piper puts it this way. He says, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see the beauty of Christ in the word and in the world. Now, if you know anything about John Piper, he is a Bible, 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 Bible guy. And so he's a huge thinker, and he probably put hours and hours of thinking into coming up with that definition, probably has hundreds of Bible verses to back it up. Um, but it's a little heady for me. And so I found another definition of joy, uh, which is from Pastor Rick Warren at Saddleback Church. And here's what Pastor Rick says. He says, joy is the settled assurance that God is in control of the details of my life. The quiet confidence that ultimately everything is going to be all right. And the determined choice to praise God in every situation. It's a determined choice to praise God in every situation. It is this assurance. It's very, very hard to talk about Christian joy without talking about peace. It's very hard to talk about Christian joy without talking about hope because they come in this package. They're sort of a bundle that you get together because it's all the fruit of the Holy Spirit. And, and it's this assurance that God has control of the details of my life. And so the difference between joy and happiness is so obvious. Happiness is controlled by circumstances and joy is not. It's, it's really difficult, though, to come up with an absolute definition. Some of you are, are familiar. Uh, in 1964, the Supreme Court was looking at a case about uh, public obscenity. And uh, Justice Stewart in 1964, in writing about this, he said, I don't have a definition for obscenity and hardcore pornography, but I know it when I see it. I know it when I see it. See, as a Christian, I don't know exactly how to tell you exactly what joy is and how it differs from hope and how it differs from peace. I'm not even sure we can talk about it separate from those things. But I do want to tell you this. We know it when we have it. And we know it when we don't. So let's just do some clarification and make sure we're on the same page here. Remember we talked about that lottery ticket and then the tax bill that comes with it? Circumstances that have so much impact on our happiness. That's why we should not mix up the concept of happiness and the concept of joy. Happiness and joy are not the same thing. 
Happiness is completely controlled by our circumstances and the opposite of happiness is sadness. So if you have sadness, you don't have happiness. If you have happiness, you don't have sadness. That's not true with joy. You can be sad and still filled with joy. You could be sad, you could be grieving and still filled with joy. And so it's possible to have joy because joy is abiding. It's that assurance that abides in us as we abide in Christ. It's that, it's that power that transforms our life and gives light into the darkness. In fact, joy is probably experienced at its best when we're sad. So don't confuse like and think that, if I'm sad, I can't be joyful. If I'm bored, I can't be joyful. If I'm frustrated, I can't be joyful. You can be joyful in all of those circumstances. The Holy Spirit is the source of our joy. And so I thought it would be helpful for us if we just um, do some Bible study. We're going to look at some of what the Bible says about joy. Uh, joy is mentioned in the Bible over 200 times, so we're not going to hit all those verses. But I picked out maybe just a few that I think might be valuable to you. And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you're taking notes, write these down. Um, but I'm going to start where we started a little while ago when we were studying the book of James. Now, some of you are like, hey, what ha whatever happened to the book of James? Don't worry, we're going to get back to the book of James, but we're going to do it when we all get back together. So in James chapter 1, first sermon we preached on James. James chapter 1, beginning in verse 2, here's what it says. Consider it all joy, my brethren, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance, and let endurance have its perfect result, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Consider it all joy, James says. When you encounter trials... When you encounter lots of trials, various trials, he says that joy is not only possible, it's a choice that we make. We're supposed to count it joy even when we're in trials because it's that joy that completes us. It's that joy that actually leads us to this place where we become perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Or another way to say that is spiritually mature. Paul writes about the same things in Romans 5, 3 through 5, where he talks about how our trials lead to proven character and proven character leads to hope and hope does not disappoint. So trials do not keep us from having joy. And while I, we think of, and rightfully so, what we're going through as a trial, we th we're going through this as a society, and it's a trial, it's a difficulty, and it's going to have an impact in many ways that we haven't even seen yet. The trial is not over. We're still in it. We tend to think of it and go, oh, what a bummer. Oh, that keeps me from having joy. It doesn't keep you from having joy. In fact, James tells you to count it joy when you encounter a trial like this. It's an opportunity from God. Now, I want you to flip in your Bibles to, uh, excuse me, to Philippians chapter 4. And go to Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. It's in your New Testament right after Galatians uh, and Ephesians, and then you come to Philippians. Go to Philippians chapter 4, and boy, this is a great place. If you want a place to meditate this week, do it in Philippians chapter 4, because it's in the book of Philippians that Paul just outlines a theology of joy, and we see the center of that in chapter 4. I just want to hit one verse. This is so hard for me. I just want to hit one verse, okay? Philippians chapter 4, verse 4. Look what it says. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Rejoice in the Lord always. 
rejoice. We've talked about what it is to rejoice. To rejoice is to choose joy. It's to, it's to focus on that which brings you joy. It's to focus not on that which brings you anxiety and fear. It's to focus on that which is good, that which is true, that which is honorable, that which brings glory to God. And, and, and we begin to focus on those things and we rejoice in the midst of all that's going on. He commands us to rejoice and he tells us rejoice in the Lord. So I just want you to know, if you happen to be watching this or listening to this today and you don't have a personal relationship with the Lord, happiness is about the best that you're going to experience. Joy is not an option for those of us who don't know the Lord. And so it's in the Lord that we can rejoice. Because you're in Christ, if you're a Christian, joy is always available to you. And we're going to see why in just a second. But he tells us rejoice in the Lord. And when are we supposed to do it? Always. Rejoice in the Lord always. And he realizes how we're going to respond to that. He knows that if he just writes rejoice in the Lord always, we are all going to go, oh yeah, except you don't know my circumstances. Like I can't rejoice in the Lord right now. And so he just cuts us off and he says, again, I will say rejoice. We're commanded to rejoice in the Lord always. And one of the great things about when we see a command from God is remember this, whenever you're commanded by God to do something, then you're also enabled by God to do it. Because it would be unjust for God to command us to do anything he doesn't enable us to do. So if you're struggling with joy, here's what you need to know. You're not stuck if you're a Christian. You have the opportunity to rejoice and he's commanded you to take advantage of that opportunity. Now, turn in your Bibles to the book of Romans. So just a few books, uh, pages to the left there. Go to Romans chapter 15. Paul actually says a lot about joy in the book of Romans. And in Romans chapter 15, he's talking about how God has made the Gentiles a part of his plan. And here's what it says. Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. I just underlined a bunch of words in that verse in my Bible. First of all, I underlined God of hope. Again, this is a reminder. This all depends upon God. It all depends on our relationship with God. He is the God of hope. Remember I said, hope, joy, and peace come together in a bundle. They're the fruit of the Holy Spirit. May the God of hope fill you with all what? Joy. So because he's the God of hope, he can fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will abound. That means that you will overflow in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. It all comes by the power of the Holy Spirit. And that is what Paul tells us in Galatians chapter 5. So turn to Galatians 5 if you're in Romans. It's just a few books to your right. Before you get to Ephesians, go to Galatians chapter 5. And I want to read to you verses uh, 22 and 23 of Galatians 5. But the fruit of the Spirit, and by the way, Kids Connection kids, you could tell your parents all about the fruit of the Spirit because you've been learning about it in Kids Connection. Hopefully you're still following up and learning about it on Right Now Media while you're at home because there's a whole fruit of the Spirit section on there for kids. I strongly encourage you to check that out, parents. But Galatians chapter 5, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control, 
Against such things, there is no law. One of the things that I have been guilty of many times and I've heard other Christians do as well is when we talk about the fruit of the Spirit, we often talk about the fruits of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. We talk about them like they're all separate things. But he doesn't call it the fruits of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write the fruit of the Spirit. When you have the Spirit of God in your life, there is fruit that is born. Just like every tree bears a certain kind of fruit, if it's a fruit tree, an apple tree doesn't bear apples, pears, bananas, and oranges. It bears apples. And as Christians, we bear fruit because of the Holy Spirit. And the fruit of the Holy Spirit is this one fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. So... All of that comes because of our relationship with the Holy Spirit. That's why the scripture tells us over and over, don't grieve the Holy Spirit through your sin. Don't quench the Holy Spirit by ignoring the convictions of God and just continuing in sin. He tells us to avoid those things so that the Holy Spirit can be, uh, the flame of the Holy Spirit can be fanned in our lives. And so he tells us the fruit of the Spirit includes all of these things. That's why we can't talk about joy really separate from those other things. I want you to go to the Old Testament real quick and go to the book of Psalms. And I want to read you a verse from Psalm chapter 16. It's in Psalm 16, 11. And I want you to listen to what King David writes in Psalm 16, 11. He says, you will make known to me the path of life, as he's praying to God. You will make known to me the path of life. In your presence is fullness of joy. In your right hand, there are pleasures forever. In your presence, God, is the fullness of joy. So even those little glimpses, those little tastes of joy that we have, the fullness of joy comes in the presence of God. One of the things I've just been encouraging people during this time, so many of us are saying, wow, I'm already bored. I, I, I have so much downtime. I've spent so much time just sitting in front of bad television shows. I'm, I'm going to the refrigerator every five minutes, the refrigerator, and I'm going to weigh 900 pounds by the time this thing is over because I'm eating out of boredom. You know what, guys? I wish I had a dime for every person over the years who has told me I'm just having the hardest time finding time to spend with God. Guess what? That excuse is gone. You have time to spend with God. And in his presence is the fullness of joy. So as you draw near to God, the scripture says in James, he will draw near to you. And so remember, you need to be in the presence of God. You need to be inviting God in the middle of your day, in prayer, in worship, in, in Bible reading, all those things that you can be doing, in service to others for the glory of God. In his presence is the fullness of joy. And one last verse, Hebrews, in Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 2. We're told to fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has endured such hostility by sinners against himself, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Jesus 
despised the cross, despised the shame of the cross, cried out to his father in the garden of Gethsemane, please let this cup pass from me. But he endured the cross, the greatest trial any human being has ever endured. He endured the cross, despising the shame for the joy set before him. Guys, we got to keep things in perspective. This moment in time is brief. My life on earth is brief, but eternity is forever. For the joy set before him, he endured the greatest trial he ever faced. And God wants us to do that too. Guess what? If you're in Christ, circumstances don't have the power to steal your joy. In John 16, as Jesus is preparing his disciples for his coming death, he tells them, no one will take your joy away from you. Nobody can take away your joy. No circumstance can take away your joy. No virus can take away your joy. Your joy is in Christ. And so I want to encourage you, church, to find your joy in Christ. Hey, I just want to leave you with a thought. Um, I was reading this week about Sir Isaac Newton. In 1665... Uh, that's uh, Jim Thompson was in middle school at that time 1665 Isaac Newton was getting ready to graduate with his bachelor's degree from Trinity College at Cambridge University when suddenly the school had to shut down and all the students were sent home do you know why bubonic plague there was this illness that was spreading throughout the land and they just shut everything down and everybody went home. And he was heartbroken because he was so close to his goal. You know, his studies were the most important thing to him and he wasn't able to complete them. So he decided that he would work from home and that turned out to be an incredible benefit for him because instead of going to class and listening to old professors talk about old ideas, he went home and grappled with new ideas and he thought about his own ideas and he worked on his ideas for things like calculus and optics and gravity and the laws of motion and astronomy and basically modern science as we know it was born because Isaac Newton had to go home for 11 weeks. Martin Luther had a similar story. He was a priest in the 16th century in Germany when he began to grapple with the word of God and he began to see that there was inconsistencies between what the church was saying and doing and what the word of God said. And so he brought those up and because of that there was all kinds of turmoil. He was finally brought up on charges and he was excommunicated from the Catholic church. And by being excommunicated what that meant was he, uh, you could kill him with no consequences. And so there was a price on his head. And as he was leaving uh, and he was on the road, he was actually kidnapped by a band of robbers who turned out not to be robbers. They turned out to be his friends. And they sequestered him in the Wartburg Castle. And he was there in the Wartburg Castle for 10 weeks. And he couldn't leave. And what did he do? I guarantee he didn't watch Netflix. What did he do? He translated the New Testament into German for the first time. And when he did that, he basically um, standardized the written German language. He also made the Bible accessible to the average German person instead of them having to trust 
the uh, clergy of the Catholic Church to tell them what the Bible taught. That fanned the flames of the Reformation, and because of that, the Christian Church, the, the Protestant Christian Church as we know it, exists today. And it happened during a 10-week exile in the Wartburg Castle. So how are you viewing this time of being sequestered? Is it merely an inconvenience? Or is it an opportunity? An opportunity for more time with God. An opportunity for actual quality and quantity time with your family. An opportunity to read a new book, learn something new. An opportunity to meet needs that didn't even exist in people's lives a few weeks ago. An opportunity to prepare for whatever God has next for you. An opportunity to rest. This is not a time out. You are not on the bench. God is still working. And he's still working in your life. And he intends to work through your life. And this season is going to be an important part of getting you ready for that. Don't waste this opportunity. And don't miss what God has in mind for you. I know this wasn't in your plans, but remember the words of Proverbs chapter 16, verse 9. The mind of man plans his ways, but the Lord directs his steps. I want to encourage you to allow the Lord to direct your steps in a time where your plans may be falling by the wayside. He will never direct you wrong. And as you walk through this challenging season of opportunity, May the joy of the Lord be your strength. God bless you.